talk about SOE tonight and, and Kit, because uh, that's something we all need more of, <laughs> better of. <laughs> and then we moved we moved here to Camden, Tennessee 20 years ago because tactical response was out here. Um, and now it's turned into, you know, the, the homestead stuff. There we go. go welcome back to the angry american nation podcast how's everybody doing tonight um well, i hear a rumor sue that emory might actually bless us with his presence is that a possibility this evening i just sent him a text i hope uh hopefully he just got back in the country last night so uh hopefully oh. he's not jet lagging and falling asleep on us but uh i haven't got an answer from the text okay. yet so hopefully He'll right. be on tonight. At least we got you here. And we got T. T, how you doing, buddy? How's Amber doing, more importantly? Doing great, man. Doing great. She's finally starting to come back around, getting mean, feisty again. Caught her outside trying to pick up hay bales. I said, no. <laughs> no, we don't need another <laughs> surgery. But she doesn't listen. So, um, you know, is what it is. I threaten her life. She tells me, don't do me any favors. I don't know what to do with her. <laughs> Well, and we got a, we got a great uh, guest tonight, guys. Uh, John Willis with SOE. Um, if you guys don't know who SOE, um, Special Operations Equipment, is, uh, they make some awesome kit. Uh, and John, you've had you've had quite the journey from where you guys started to where you are now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We doing. we started out of San Diego 35 years ago. Um, I'm 52, so I started when I was you know a, a late teenager. And uh, just fell into some really good positions, meeting a lot of guys. And we got invited to a lot of, you know, very cool places and uh, just carried that on and continued. And we still do the same thing today. You always hear uh, they don't make it like that anymore. We still make it like that. We make it exactly how we did uh, in the beginning. We've got gear that guys will use long after we're gone. Our great grandchildren will use that equipment. We've got stuff in all the, a lot of museums and it, it, I, I, that never really hit me until recently. We have a ton of stuff in the seal UDT museum and uh, we've got gear. A, a guy came to me at blade show a few years ago and handed me a piece of kit that was over 20 years old that had been through five different guys on uh you know a dozen deployments so su super cool to look at that i look at that as i come through the shop and every morning i see that thing and it's just it's pretty wild like i built that with my hands when i was a kid and it's it's still out there now that's awesome dude and so since you are uh um a, what i will refer to as, as a premier um manufacturer because you guys are you you cut and sew it Right here in the U.S., like you said, how many yeah. sewing machines do you guys have? I own fifty-two sewing machines. We run about twenty of them every day. Yeah. Wow! Uh, so, if you guys have like kit-specific questions, and there'll be some other stuff that we're going to get into too. But if you got kit questions, guys, put put the hashtag SOE in your question, and we'll save those for later, and we'll run through them with John. But um, so you guys started out making kit on the West Coast, and now you're over in Camden, Tennessee, yeah. right? Yeah, middle of nowhere, like actual small town USA. 
which used to be like old rural route 66 and 69 before the interstate yeah. came through. Um, we live in the middle of nowhere. We're on 10 acres of property. Um, we kind of homestead. We live on the property. We just bought this big abandoned building that's 10,000 feet and put a big 6,000 foot loft in there. And uh, when all the nonsense started in like 2019, uh, we really kind of fenced it in and, and brought in a lot of animals and food production. And we used to do these big parties and we'd have a thousand people show up. And I just kind of quietly said on Facebook, uh, hey, we're going to have a get together. And I just mentioned it a couple of times and then 300 people showed up. And I'm like, man, I don't I don't have I don't have belt fed machine guns. I don't have fireworks like we don't have nothing here. And they're like, we just want to see the rabbits. We want to see the aquaponics. We want to see the greenhouse. And I ran around ragged, got in bed at midnight. And I, I told my wife, I said, man, I'm beat. She goes, yeah, you've been running all day. And Nicole, who you were on the live with us yep. uh, yesterday, she yep. said, I said, you know, I think there's something to this. And she said, well, why don't we do an event here like Jack Spearco does? And uh, she said, how much do you want to be involved? And I said, well, I want you to do all the work and i'll just take all the credit so we're about to have the seventh <laughs> self-reliance festival out here and uh we're starting a program uh we always say man these kids these days and i remember grandpa saying that but we're we're going to do homestead apprentice where we're going to bring in a bunch of young men and uh we're going to do the gauntlet where we do the selection and we're going to whittle them down to two 10-man teams and we'll have them on site and just teach them everything we can in three weeks uh, at proper application of a tourniquet, chainsaw, fencing, uh, fighting pistol. I mean, every everything we can jam into them for 24 hours a day um, for three weeks. And then hopefully we'll we'll select a couple dudes and pick, you know, some actual interns that we bring in to our organizations and our, our companies and stuff. That's a that's a hell of a hiring process. I like that. And and when you're you said you're going to have them working on fence, um, I've got some. If you need extra for them to put to work on, I got some out here that needs to be fixed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. yes. Bring them to my place. Yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah, loves them too. Jump in on that free labor. And that's what we're saying, right? We've got guys involved from Ohio and North Carolina and uh, East Tennessee. So if you don't want to live in Camden when we're done, I mean, we have multiple friendly companies that, you know, we're basically vetting guys. We're just and we're not we're not looking for the the rock star. Right. We're looking for the guy that when he's done with whatever the task is, he's assisting the next. Well, you guys know what selection looks like and what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was watching uh, I was watching a, a YouTube earlier today. Uh, with Chad, um, damn it, I just forgot his last name. It just slipped on my long red beard. You probably know who he is. Uh, he was a former SEAL. Um, okay. Chad, yes, um, yes, yes. He's he's friends with yeah. Rosella. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, a three of seven, you know, is, is him. And uh, and the video I was watching was actually, they were at a gym. Um, yep. and, and he had a, a combat test, physical test that they had to do. And it was just using like weights and doing things like burpees and pull-ups and this kind of things. Um, and it was a 60 minute workout. And, and, you know, when the last part of it was a one and a half mile run they had to do. And he comes into the gym and he looks around. He's like, why are you guys sitting down in here? And he's like, there's guys out here still going that need your encouragement, need your help because the mission's yep. not over yet. And, and that struck me is cause he, when, when it was, when the last guy crossed and the last guy had everybody running with him, uh, cause they all went and met him, you know, and they all ran with him. And Chad went into that, what the, what a team is, you know, and that the mission's not done until everybody's done. Yep. You know, and that's a, that's not instilled in anybody today. You know, that's not taught, you know, anywhere I, I sent that 
I sent that video to all of our guys at 10 o'clock one night a week ago. I know exactly what you're talking about. So there you go. Yeah. Have you ever met him before? I have not. I Dad, know some guys that know he's him. A hell I don't. Guy. I've got, matter of fact, I've got his phone number and I'm going to get him on this podcast because he would be fantastic to talk with. Yeah. Um, you guys, my gosh, the guy's an animal. No. Yeah, he is an animal, man. He, he's, he would, he's uh, like, look, uh, yeah, I was, I was watching a, a few of his videos just the other day and he, it was one of those, um, uh, same deal, you know, same deal qualification, you know, here's what it takes. And he's like, okay, first you're going to do a hundred burpees followed by a hundred strict pushups, no jumping. Yeah. Then you're going to run five miles. Then you're going to come back and do another hundred burpees. I'm like, well, there's a week worth of working out for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 No kipping on your pull-ups. No kipping on your pull-ups. Deadlifts, you know, on your yeah, pull-ups. No so he's, uh, yeah. Awesome he's dude. Right. Awesome dude. He'd, he'd be fun to work out with. I mean, if if I keep up, he'd be a lot of fun to work out with. I've never seen a guy quite as motivated as him because he also does these hellish long runs and stuff. So be a neat guy to talk to. But that's the kind of that's the kind of thing you're well, going to instill like in these in these guys through this program, which is cool. What were you going to say, Sue? No, I, I was going to say I I I, I had the same uh, the same method for team building. I mean, you, you're you're never finished. You you're, you think of the team, you know, and, and no matter how long or short the run was, and we always had the guys that were faster. And I was, you know, as a younger man, I was always up front and everything, but. Those guys would they would I was, they would see the finish point. They'd all run in there and they were bending over and you know feeling good and trying to look cool and everything. And I was like, "What are you guys doing? Turn around! We got guys behind us. Nobody. We don't. We leave no man behind on everything. Everything. I don't care if it's running, push-ups, getting on the bus. You know, at the end of the day, clean the train. Everybody does it together as a team. And then and then, and that's just the way you build teams. You know." Never let, yeah. Never let anybody shine, and never let anybody behind. So type thing. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So, so the Homestead Apprentice, you guys are going to be filming this, and it's going to be on YouTube, right? We are. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're filming yeah. it every day. Every day will be an episode. Yep. John, that's, I think I've met cool. you guys, John. I think I've met you guys. Were you were you near Were you near Coronado Island uh, back in two thousand five? Um, yeah. I was just so moving. I, I was just moving here in 2005. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so my team sergeant, we we jumped in. I was on a scuba team, and we we jumped over the Bay Bridge there, and the seals picked us up and everything. And then uh, they went, and uh, my team sergeant knew of this great place that made made tack gear and chest rigs and things like that. And we went in there, a bunch of sewing machines, and it was a uh, it was a pretty impressive, pretty impressive place out there in california so so uh, we started i started out of the garage in tira santa by the stadium down there and then my shop was 234 yeah. south coast highway up towards pendleton okay all right yeah yeah sounds right sounds right because then we went to a a japanese restaurant and we had a bunch of the the, the seals actually took us there and that they, I, you did a bunch of gear for seals right for yeah yeah we for, did uh, and we did a ton of stuff guys Yep, we did a ton of stuff yeah. with 19th and 20th too. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that bunch of seals taking you to eat fish. <laughs> well, no, I, I, 
of course, I was wearing, you know, once we did our freshwater rinse and I was wearing my, my jeans and cowboy boots and uh, just to embarrass my team sergeant, we were in a sushi. He knows I hate sushi and he loves sushi. So we were in the sushi restaurant and I went, I, I snuck out of John's place first, went in the sushi restaurant and got the table set up and everything and pre-ordered my California roll or whatever it is. When the seals came in there, I took one bite of it and spit it in the middle of the table. My team sergeant's looking at me, and I stood up and I said, "Don't eat it, boys. It's raw fish." <laughs> so. uh, uh, that, that's don't eat it as raw fish I like that. I love sushi though, so I'll eat me some raw fish. I'm all about that. Yeah, we, um, we do too, all the time. Hell yeah! yeah I'm, I'm, um, it's going on me. It's going on me. I'll eat it now. Yeah, well, I'm gonna think it's strong past. Well, we can take you someplace we'll that has some cooked food when we eat sushi. We'll get, yeah. you, we'll get yeah. you some good cow. Jeez. I take that challenge. There's a there's a roll called the Godzilla roll. I swear to God, you put this in your mouth and you'll eat sushi the rest of your life. It's delicious. Yeah. Yellow, there's a place called Yellowtail in Clarksville. Got, they got filet mignon all over the outside. When they serve that roll, it's on fire. Wow. Yeah. I've done a I've done a sushi boat before, me and like four other people, and we only managed to eat half of it at a real nice sushi joint. Um, but yeah, I love sushi. Um, but I was I was gonna say it's quite the it's quite the journey that you've gone on from you know you're, you've been operating in the the SF community for a long time, you know, peripheral as a as support essentially by building kit for them and being there for testing and development and all the stuff you're doing. And you said you guys started the homesteading thing in 2019. Like, what was the real impetus to to look around and be like, hey, we need to change some things we're doing here and, and start a homestead? So I've always been a, a survivalist, right? And then that became a bad word. And then you were a prepper. And I think the ultimate goal as we mature is to be a homestead, right? And how do we keep... Uh, that homestead, right? We always grow up and you're going to be the lone wolf guy and you're going to be in culverts. And, you know, what happens when you've got a four-year-old with you or you have your wife and, you know, multiple kids, right? And I think a lot of the, we always talk about how we're going to change things. And we talk about these, these kids nowadays, right? And I remember grandpa saying that too. So I always question if it's just, as I get older, I get grumpier. Um, but we have to take charge, right? We created these kids. Um, and, and how do we, what do we do, right? We now take our, our elderly and we warehouse them. That's kind of the common thing. We don't keep anybody at home. So how do we fix this? And I think if everybody had some property, and it doesn't have to be a lot of property, and we don't have to all be under the same roof. It can be on a piece of property, and now we can keep our parents on the property, and our parents can help raise the kids as they can't toil or go out and work and earn the money, right? So I think to have multiple generations on a piece of property and then have people like-minded around to build community. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the crazy stuff that happened over the last couple of years, none of that happened where we were, right? You saw it, mm -hmm. but if we didn't, if we didn't turn this thing on, would we know all the nonsense going on for most people? It wouldn't exist if you were busy creating building and, you know, everybody, it, we're really good at operating in fear and panic. But if we truly believe that, wouldn't things be easier if we had a business and had income coming in, right? The money buys options and money buys time and money buys, um, you know, during the lockdowns, people who flew private, there was no lockdown for them for the most part. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then 
we would be, we would have people come in and we'd have these big huge parties and fireworks and 48 belt fed machine guns and the whole deal and then during like 2019 when some of the places were locked down we just kind of quietly said hey we're gonna have a get together and 300 people showed up and i was we were not prepared for that um and i said man i don't i don't have there's no rock bands here i don't have food trucks they're like we just want to see the aquaponics we want to see the greenhouse we want to see the rabbits so i ran around like a madman just giving property tours and that kind of turned into self-reliance festival and then we've got a building kit here and radio made easy my buddy evan uh, some guys we do business with they said when are we going to put this up and i said i don't know when we're going to get it up and he said why don't we just bring in some interns and i said that's cool and then our buddy bob who turns everything into business he's like i see a tv show i'm like perfect you guys run this i'll show up we'll do it here and it's just turned into this this production now and um, multiple cameras and a lot of guys and uh, here it is. We're going to we're going to do the gauntlet and we're selecting 50 dudes out of uh, the video resumes and, and uh, that they've turned in and we're going to bring them in and we're going to pull it down to two 10 man teams. That's out of 50. Wow. That's you. That's going to be some hard cutting, man. Yeah. And, and hard cutting. yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. I mean, we, we've I talked to Joel Salatin when I interviewed Joel. Uh, from Polyface Farms. Everybody interviews Joel. Congress, he's testified before Congress. He's been on Rogan. Yeah. But I wanted to know how he selected his interns. And he had some he had some great insight on that. So we're going to kind of go off of some of his stuff combined with uh, Scully. He was the NCOIC for Scout Sniper School. So he put a lot of students through uh, the, the Camp Pendleton Marine Corps uh, Scout Sniper School. So we got some dudes and some from, from some different perspectives. We'll get them. We'll get them down to a solid 20. That's cool, man. That's cool. Uh, T, T, T just got done. Well, he's not got done. He's building his homestead out right now, but he just finished the, uh, the, the what'd you call it? The Chick Mahal? Is that what we? See, that's that the, Chicks, the Chicks Carlton, man. That's the, the Chicks, Chicks Carlton. Carlton. Nice. Sorry, I haven't yeah. heard that one. <laughs> the Chicks Carlton. Well, you, you should see this thing. I, I mean, I still, I still think it's a, a, a covert grow house, but it's an amazing chicken coop. It, it is. On the down low, yeah, we, we got a lot of plants in there. But uh, they're perfectly fertilized because we do the deep litter method. So the chickens yeah. take care of the fertilizing of all the plants. It's a perfect setup. Yep. Mine looks like yep. a shanty town. This is the chickens that want a great chicken coop. This is it. You know? Nice. Curtis Stone uh, runs row houses in the winter and then puts his chickens in there. So they turn over all yeah. the deep, the mulch. And then in, when he moves them out, they, they're ready to go, man. As they move that row house down, that soil's just That's ready it. to roll. We do a lot of, I do tractors. We put chickens on grass. I run rabbits on grass and then we rotate them. And I run mm -hmm. sheep in a uh, 10 by 20 pin. So we move that twice a day move the sheep and then we bring the chickens behind the sheep three days later that's when the fly is ready to hatch and the chickens go through that manure and then super uh scratch it into the ground and i got you know i got all that from joel salatin and greg judy oh yeah that's great people great people we actually have daniel coming to mountain readiness in may now so daniel yeah. you know he's he's out there running running the roads non-stop as well uh following yep. in joel's footsteps awesome guy I mean, he's fast with a knife too on that chicken processing. Impressive yeah, we had, to watch. 
We had Joel out was our, our speaker, our, our head top speaker for last SRF here. And then on Monday he did, he actually, Joel actually did a chicken processing class for everybody that stayed after for that. Now, now that's uh, what we're well, shooting for too, is the same thing, you know, hands-on, hands-on mm -hmm. uh, uh, stuff. That's you, you, you really can never, you, you, you're not homestead unless you've got your hand up the backside of a dead chicken. I mean, you got to yeah. get dirty. So that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, my um, my wife my wife uh, last year we went we went out to a friend to Nicole. She did a turkey process, and my wife processed our turkey that we did for Thanksgiving. Nice. Oh, nice. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm just, oh, I'm catching up on messages here, y'all. Um, I mean, it's yeah. We're getting a bunch of speaking of kids. Know what you're doing, Joe. It's speaking of the kids and what you're doing, Joe. It's awesome. Um, it's an awesome idea. And um, the other side of this is, is man, the, the younger generation these days of, of um, explaining to them where, where the food actually comes from. It's mind blowing. Like, you know, they just assume that stuff come off the shelf at Walmart. Right. And um, you know, these kids, they're, they're so sensitive now because they haven't been brought up around processing a chicken. I mean, you know, as, as a child, we were hand plucking chickens and chopping heads off and it was a normal yep everyday way of life and it's crazy how everything has transitioned because of of, of uh, where the wor world focuses with our kids in the in the public school systems you know hey sit in this cubicle and stare at a, a square tv screen and in the square room and then go home and stare at the square uh ipad you know it's it's horrible and so uh it's great what you guys are doing and we're trying to follow suit with uh what we're doing is bring these kids and show them what real life is like well, it's very 1984, right? You're gonna you're gonna look at that box, and you go into restaurants now. If you if you really notice, you used to go into restaurants 10 years ago, and you would hear screaming and wild children, and you don't anymore. And when you look around, they're mm -hmm. there, but they have this thing. Even in a shopping cart, uh, you got two year olds and three year olds that are just on this thing. They don't they're not socialized, right? And we nothing's been pressure tested. Um, nobody has the children don't have calluses. They've never wow. skinned a knee. We they they the first thing you do when they cry is pick them up and get them to stop crying. And we never let them actually run through the cry. And you can't uh, there's not any touch football, which turns into tackle football, which turns into skin. knees. Now you have to have law enforcement involved if a kid gets a, a bruise or anything at school. And yeah, uh, yeah we can't ride a bicycle without a helmet no more. Can't ride in the bed of the truck, you know. Right, Man, right, can't right. Do all these things that 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 right. that build toughness into you. You know, my my I had all I have all girls. I have three girls, and and growing up, they would cry over the littlest things, and and I wasn't trying to be mean to them. I would just be looking at them. I would be like, you know, is that helping? Is that helping it yeah. feel better? And now I'm like, that. Why are you doing it? Let's yeah. let's address the problem and find out why. And you yeah. know, if they little scrapes or, or little tiny injuries, you know, splinter in their foot. It was like the end of the world. And and I would always tell them when they were little, I'd be like, look, it, at times in life, it's going to hurt. Life isn't painless. Pain comes with life. It means you're alive. And and I think that sounds callous to say to, to, to small kids, but really just trying to get that idea in their head that, that you know, just because you hurt, you're not dying. This isn't the end of the world. You're going to get through this. And, and I think nerfing all the corners and putting everybody in bubble wrap is doing the polar opposite of that you know we yeah. are we are de-evolving in my opinion we're getting slower dumber and weaker by the day 100 percent as a result of yeah i mean we had 
Jonah, you said that's callous. Me, I, if I didn't see arterial spray, I was kicking them, kicking them while they're down. So, uh, yeah. you know what? No, you ain't pumping out. Uh, get up. Yeah. Get up. Yeah. Hurt and injured are two different things. We used to, we roughhouse yeah. with our kids to the point. If a bully ever hit one of my kids, he's like, man, I get, we get more than that from dad at home. There's just, yeah. it doesn't happen. Right. And we don't let kids work things out anymore. There, if anytime there's anything, even just words, it's, it's now as though it is a physical injury and we involve law enforcement and kids just don't know how to manage in the real world. We, we coddle them. And when they get out in the real world, they've never seen any kind of predation or or any physical adversity. difficulties yeah yeah any sort of adversity because society today is excuse me you have a problem you call a guy yeah you know, oh you argue with your wife you call a guy the toilet broke you call a guy everything's yeah. call a guy nothing is your responsibility call somebody else and let the experts or the professionals deal with it you yeah know? more and um, more more and more we feed people well, who this, who they we don't we, we keep people alive that won't keep themselves alive. There is no repercussion for, for not having a job. Yeah. yeah. We talked about all, yeah. This, uh, fighting, all this fighting and child abuse. That's a good segue back to SOE, which was the company you run, John. Uh, I'm sitting here looking at it online, and uh, one of the hardest things for me to find, it's, it's on you know, Chris Rutherman's checklist is medical. Can you talk about uh, the one I'm the one I'm really wanting to you know talk about is the mass casualty aid bag. So when we get when we have all of our kids together and we have a tackle football game, we have that aid bag there on the field. And what's what's in there? What can uh, what, if somebody bought that? You know, getting ready for you know a tragic event or uh the medical gear here is incredible and it, it doesn't have to be the end of the world type stuff you guys all of you guys listening right now you should have one of these mass casualty aid bags in your house or some you know one, one of your vehicles because uh uh well i'll let john explain it just just explain what's in that bag so, and, and the, the the little amount of training you need to, to use that bag yeah so so we make we make the bags we don't actually sell loaded kits we sell some components okay. um we we work with chuck from homestead medical we work with with bear uh from refuge medical quite a bit but we build the bags okay. and that bag was set up so that it splays out first the, the seals got issued an m9 medical backpack and they right. weren't happy with those those draw cord open top pouches so they came in mm -hmm. and we built a pocket set which velcroed in place that is four small and two large bags and the reason we did those is because they would hold thousand bags and we could put the whole iv kits in those in those larger bags the small pockets are half the size of that we do a medical backpack we issued i think we did 300 full pocket sets for the west coast navy for those bags and then that turned into the full backpacks that we built for them the mass casualty aid bag was something I worked with uh, a friend of mine, Eli Miller. He was an, an army medic. And we took those same pocket sets and put in there. And when you open it, it splays open. Both of those bags are set so that we can carabiner them up and hang them on the back of a seat in a vehicle or on a medical tent on the wall. And we can work off of them and you can index those so that they're clamshell open we can index them so they're top or we can index those pockets so when we open that bag all the way up they're all upward facing you can move them however you need to move them um hmm. that bag is set up with that velcro in between when we splay that out we can put we make rifle cards 
that are four M4 mags. Those happen to hold six inch Izzy. So we can load those all the way up with six inches. We got a bunch of bandages right there. We've got quick clot and all the smaller ones if we want that. And then a, just a ton of tourniquets on the outside on like our vehicle med bags, our backpacks, all that PALS webbing, that's for stage tourniquets. So we've got everything right there to stop the bleed once it's open. Then we can wound pack or, you know, put whatever we're going to put in that channel and then compress that and tie that thing up. And that's really what those are built for, um, just to hold a ton of medical gear. And it, it holds a lot. It's not as big as, you know, the, the stomp bags and stuff like that. But for the average dude coming out of a vehicle, um, it holds a ton of gear. Yeah, I was just the, the, I was just on a podcast this evening right before this one where I was specifically talking about medical gear and how most people don't have enough of just gauze, just gauze. Just, just take world gauze alone. And the example that I like to use is just the situation has gone south, whatever it is, you can be even camping, this can happen to you. And you're just chopping some wood, the axe slips, and you bury that thing in your shin. Now, in a in a grid down situation, there is no higher level of care. So now you've got to care for that wound through its healing process if you're if you're lucky enough. And just the sheer volume of material it takes to manage a single wound like that, nobody has that much stuff at home to handle one, let alone you know multiples of it. Um, so yeah, after. medical gear is something we're super big on. Yeah, just the aftercare to take care of that wound. What are you, 30 days, 45 days? Just, yeah. the, just the gauze. And that, I mean, we, we've got all the compressed gauze. Everything's gotten smaller now. They've done a great job mm -hmm. at packaging it so you can carry a lot more. Quick clot used to be this big pillowy thing and then the Z fold. So, I mean, where we used to put one quick clot, quick clot or two H&H &H bandages, you know, we can now fit four of those. Hyphen chest seals. We used to have to have them big and flat. Now they've got the compressed. Mm -hmm. We can even put them in the ankle in the ankle med kits. So everything's gotten smaller. With that, you have less of the material typically, right? We have a smaller chest seal now, but we can still put mm -hmm. those big ones in there. Um, they've, they've done a good job at making it more comfortable, right? Guys are more apt to carry it that, that don't necessarily have to carry it on a, on a daily basis. Having those small contents, you can carry them now and not even have to wear special clothing. Like I have pockets on my pants where I can put, a, you know, Cat 7 or a soft tea tourniquet. Most dudes, the average dude walking around doesn't have that. He's got it, maybe a tourniquet if he has it in the back pocket. So coming out, I mean, as things have transitioned, really, especially in like the last five, six years, everything's gotten smaller and smaller. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you're playing yeah, again, yeah, folks, I'm, you I'm a couple of tourniquets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I grab a couple of the sling you know, kits from Bear. Those things are great. Slip it right in the front pocket. You're ready to roll. Yep. Yeah. You know, and then, like I was saying, if you're if you carry a gun for for self defense, you know, you should be carrying a tourniquet. You should really be carrying something like a slick kit, something like that, something with some uh, pressure bandage and a tourniquet, ideally. Well, um, think think. So I mean, you guys. Compact. You guys, you guys yeah. instruct, you guys instruct both, right? How to put the holes and how to patch the holes. And when you talk to your students and you get those emails, which do you get more of on a, on a weekly basis, right? There's way more lives being say, hey, I rolled up on this accident scene or, Hey, something slipped, right? It's very often. Yeah. It's, it's way more. It's, I'll, I'll bet it's a hundred to one. Hey, I smoked this guy or I had to ventilate this dude versus I plugged this guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you roll up on something or you're, you happen to be there, you, you know, when, yep. when the thing goes down. And that's why like, I like getting the gel blocks and teaching people how to pack a wound because everybody thinks, oh, you just put the bandage on the wound. No, no, no. Depending on the hole, you can do that. But if it's a hole, 
we need to pack these wounds and, and just and a little stuff like that. How to convert a tourniquet, you know, nobody even knows what that term means. Everybody's got a tourniquet, but in a good down situation, all right, I've got a tourniquet on my left arm. What are we going to do with my, what do with it now? What are we going to do? You know, we can't leave this thing here forever. You know, we're not banning a calf here. You know, I mean, uh, we got to do something with my arm. So it's either you're going to die painfully and slowly because no one has any idea what to do or get a little bit of training and some material stored up and they still might die, but you have a chance of saving their life as opposed to and, and, zero chance of saving their life. And you said the gel blocks, you know, the, the training aids have gotten so much more advanced now and realistic oh, yeah. too. And they're, and they're accessible. Like you can, you can go buy that stuff, right? Once you see yep. it, you know, take it back and try, you know, teach it, watch one, do one, teach one. Yep. Absolutely. And, and Sue, he's, he's a, he instructs way more than, than any of us do. Um, and so he knows that. And that's the, the same theory that we all use is, is like you said, you know, learn one, do one, teach one, uh, you know, cause that's, we want everybody doing is spreading this knowledge out there for everybody. Yeah. And, and once you get a little bit of training, that's why I, I wanted to talk about that mass casualty bag. Uh, if you have mass casualties, okay, if that bag is organized, if you can, if you can lay it out like he was talking about, and you know where, exactly where everything's else, time is of the essence, you know, and the, the faster you can stop the bleeding and get that airway going again for a bunch of people at one time, and sometimes there's only two people, you know, say, uh, uh, casual uh, mass casualty on the highway i-40 i'm not i'm just down the road from i-40 i've seen i've seen uh these these wrecks where there's there's several casualties out there but if somebody's if somebody uh is organized and you got a couple people to help out the rest of everybody that's panicking and screaming and yelling and waiting for the police to get there, they 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 alleviate a lot of the problems and save lives. So organization, when especially your medical gear, is is very important. So I, yeah, I see a lot of good stuff here on the website. We're on the. Well, he's starling. Oh, right. so I'm not even starling tonight. There he is. So if, uh, did I freeze out? So I'm on the forty no, also. The, the yeah. modules in that MCAB, the modules in the metal, all of our bags, they rip out of there. So we can stage that to where you can put them to multiple guys with multiple, you know, wounds, multiple injuries. You can just have the stage as you want. Um, and then once, obviously, you know, once you've seen that training to be able to take that into a tissue lab and see that for real. And Bob, I, that's a friend of mine. I actually know Bob and, and yep. the guys teaching that stuff. <laughs> This will be the third live tissue lab that they're actually running. That used to be a very taboo thing. If you were very lucky and you knew an 18 Delta, you would get invited out when they were doing those out of Coronado and you could kind of see those. And then once that got known, um, you'd have news crews and PETA and all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. Um, so for those guys to bring that back around and actually offer that in a private setting to civilians as well, that's a, that's a major thing to be able to go and actually see that. Yeah, getting that real life hands-on experience is a different thing. And you know, even the training classes, like I in TCCCs, I like the ones that have the synthetic blood and the spray bottles, so that when you're trying to apply that tourniquet, they're just spraying it on your hands. You know, they're spraying it on what you're trying to deal with, so that you get that realism. I, I you know, many years ago, I was a I was on a volunteer fire department, and I worked a lot of trauma cases. You know, and and so I already had that experiential frame of reference. But for someone who's never done it, most people in this country have probably never touched much blood if any you know their own a little bit 
but I, not, most people have never had their hands covered in blood while they're trying to do something. And, and we all know sitting here just how damn hard that is. Blood is slippery as hell for, for a little while, then it gets real sticky. So it's a problem to work with. And, and having a class that teaches you the, the live tissue side of what that feels like, what it, what it actually feels like, is that's a great class to take. I wish we'd get one down here because I got a lot of people I'd like to be like, hey, you need to go take this, you know. Mm -hmm. Get that experiential frame of reference. That's a term that, that Alan Kay coined, at least in my mind, because he was saying it all the time, and it's one that I use now too, because you don't know until you know, you know. You've got to do it. You can't just watch YouTube videos. Get out there and get your hands dirty. And uh... YouTube has its place. I mean, YouTube is great to watch, but you've got to yep. back that YouTube video up with real world experience. experience. You know, that's where I think that's everybody's falling short in this day and age. I, we should try to, T, we should see if we can get Bob to come down to Mountain Readiness and do a live tissue class. I think that would be fantastic. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. That would be awesome. We just uh, brought a, and I, and I apologize if he's watching, a gentleman uh, I talked to out of Texas is coming, and he's got the um, the dummy, you know, where you can actually wound pack, and it's pumping blood out and the whole bit. Really? He's going to set up. He's going to set up at his booth, and so, you know, y'all stop by and get your get your fingers in there. See how that works out for you. Um, was, because uh, that's not really what you need to be doing. I was on Camp McCall and, um, and was with some deltas there and they had one of the modern the the, the computerized versions where you can they can make it talk right. and they can make it move uh and the guy's just like hey you want to see something cool and so i went in there and you know having to having to decompress his chest and having to run through all the stuff and, and the dummy's moving and you're having to hold him down and it, it's really that's a fantastic awesome. i can only imagine what it costs <laughs> you know but uh, oh, it, was, it was really sure. weird to, to decompress that thing's chest because i've never darted anybody I did that dummy and, now, and just I mean, like that, a person i have not either when that dart went in there just like a person you heard that but you know that, that air come out and it's like wow that that's the value of of real training stuff that's mm -hmm. that's reality based um yes i would love to have one of those but that would be too expensive far too expensive yeah um, we need to find somebody that's willing to volunteer, you know, take one for the team. I don't know. Where's Emory? Maybe we can get Emory talked into it. He'll do all kinds of crazy stuff. But man, Emory, we really want to see what it's like to decompress. You know, we need to stab you with this this big needle right now. I think, I think we ought to, we can start in Tennessee. Maybe Tennessee would be open for it, but we, we need to, we need to, make that kind of a requirement when a when a judge sentences a pedophile they have to they have to be the volunteer at the at the 18 delta course stays with the death penalty they get uh they get sentenced to death or they get sent to the 18 deltas <laughs> that would, that would go for, that one. <laughs> for those guys pretty neat. This is the second year this is the second second time Doc Bones and Nurse Amy is going to be there at uh, Mountain Readiness in May, and they're doing the the hands-on suturing class, which, you know, that's advanced stuff. There's a lot of prep work before you get into that part, that stage there. But grid down, you know, the, the, the end of the world as we know it, it is going to be, you know, a necessary, uh, necessary uh, skill. Uh, so that's that's a pretty neat thing, I think, to see that. A lot of people love that there right there as far as that class. 
What are they suturing on? Are they using the silicone block stuff? Or are they using chicken skin? Yeah. Or what are they doing? Man, I want. I think it's chicken. I think it's chicken. I believe they did chicken last time. I don't know if they're going to do this time. We were talking to them the other day, um, but I believe it was chicken the last time last year. So, uh, I like, um, I like and, and then they have a. I like pork bellies yeah. for suture. More realistic. Texture, skin. There you go. The whole thing. Yeah. But chicken works too. Chicken's so much more tender and you can tear it easier than you can human flesh, you know, and, and the pork bellies seem to seem to be a closer uh, um, simile. Yeah. Thank, no, thank you. I was I, right, close I, enough. Blank. Close enough. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> What, what do you guys do your live tissue classes uh, on, John? What do they use? Chickens or? So that's not my live tissue class. That's Bob, but they use oh, pigs. Know, they Ooh, use that's, actual. Uh, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. 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 There's right, a veterinarian good. there. They're using a live, a live animal. Okay. Nice. That's, that's, that's awesome. That'd be a great class. <laughs> like I said, oh, you're watching Bob. Come to Mount Readiness, man. We would have to, we want to hold that one down on the arena, there. though. Down in the arena, we've got a pig. We've got a pig that's going to be processed, so we could do a few things beforehand. I mean, well, whenever and Sue probably knows this out at Sage when when you're out there uh, within the first, you know, four or five days, they'll bring out a pig. Now the pig's never alive when it shows up because stupid regulations. But the um, the Montyard cooks will butcher the hog. But the deltas always every time they see that pig show up, the deltas are over there wanting to start doing um, medical training with us, and and the yard cooks are standing there with their arms folded and they're bickering back and forth with each other, uh, you know, in, in Vietnamese because they want to butcher this hog. And I watched one push a delta out of the way, run in, gut out the hog real fast, drop it all into a garbage bag, hand the delta the garbage bag, and say, "You teach over there." <laughs> Basically, get. Get out of here. I got a hog to butcher, you know. Because <laughs> it is a good facsimile for, for working on people. Um, pull the lungs out, have all those, have all that fun, do all those things. So, John, with your with your experience in the military community, the things you're doing now, now you're homesteading, you know, what's the, uh, what's, what do you foresee things happening or looking like later this year? Are you concerned or do you think that the calendar is going to keep rolling without too many speed bumps? Well, I think for I think it's there. You well, I mean, we saw it the last four years. I mean, yes, of course, there's going to be craziness. It's going to be in the cities. I think um, they always telegraph that punch, right? Uh, event two hundred one. They planned it out, and then it happened. Cyber polygon. They tell you what they're going to do. So why should we not? I don't know. Maybe take them a little bit serious and prepare for it, right? If you think the water's going right. to shut off put some water in. Water's for the most part free when it runs out of the faucet. Why don't you guys put it in some containers, right? If you think that the heat's going to go out, let's have that conversation, right? How long is that 500 gallons of propane or a 25 pound barbecue tank going to run? What happens when that runs out? Yeah, you guys can all go chop a ton of firewood, but if you don't have something to burn the firewood and you're cooking over open flame, that, that, that smell broadcasts, right? So we should probably plan that out. Like if you guys think the power's going out, Maybe we should actually just turn that circuit breaker off and if nothing else, just camp inside for the week, right? So test this out. We, I don't tell people what to do. I tell people what I did do when they ask. 
And we left the city, right? We live in the middle of mm -hmm. nowhere. We're on acres of property. Uh, when the nonsense all started, we kind of took it a little serious in the beginning, right? So we, we put up fences and a sally port and gates, and we doubled up all of our lights and did the whole deal. And we put in a, a 3 million gallon retention pond. We trenched all of the downspouts off the building into the pond. We put in a middle pond. Billy Bond and those guys came out. We put in some swales. Now, truth be Billy's told, I still, don't, I still don't have yeah. a well, but I, I've got a ton of water sitting in holes in the ground. And then, you know, how do we, what do we do with that water? Are we going to drink it straight out of there? Are we going to run it through the Berkey? Are we going to sand water filter that and charcoal filter that? Um, so just, you know, have those conversations. But I think a lot of people uh, will watch, like, and I'm guilty of it myself, right? I'll, I'll consume content and then I'll do a live feed and then I'll get in bed and get on Amazon and buy things. But I, I have containers here that don't have fuel in them, right? I have empty fuel. I have a lot of fuel also. I've got three 300-gallon elevated tanks for diesel, and I've got a bunch of, you know, five gallons. But I still could do more, right? There's always something. And I think we we look at these big, huge things, like I want to put a bunker in, and I don't have the money to do a bunker. So we we play that game in our head. But there's so much you could do every day that would take five minutes, and most of it's free. So I, mm -hmm. it, it's all accumulative too, right? If it's just, it all builds up. I want everybody, guys are like 1911 or Glock. I'm like, why don't you have both, right? I want you all to be in a position where you can have anything you want. And if we truly think that society, 52, every year of my life, something was good. We were ready for Y2K, right? We had 50 dudes there and we had, <laughs> you know, force recon guys and SWAT. Yeah. Like we were ready and uh, nothing happened that day, right? And the Mayan calendar, I mean, pick, take your pick, whatever it is. Um, if we truly believe that something's going to happen and a lot of people's emergencies are just their own emergencies, right? If you think something's coming, would you be better off if you were in a position where you had money, right? Because the money buys you options and we get so stuck, especially in the prepping community, when you're in these little groups on Facebook and stuff, I got $10, what should I buy? Don't, you shouldn't buy anything with $10. You should take $10, make it into a hundred and then figure out how to turn that into 10,000 and get you a piece of property someplace. Like I want yeah. you all to develop a, a business and figure out how to do something. You, you hear so many guys like money doesn't buy happiness or money isn't everything. Then why do you get up at a, a time in the morning to go to a place you hate to go for such a finite amount of it, right? I want to figure out that thing you love to do and then figure out how to monetize that and build that up and then build a community. If you do what you truly believe is in your heart, the correct thing for you and your family, then other people with those beliefs will show up. And that's what well, I want. Well, part I want of Here's 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 why so many people aren't doing it. My opinion, guys, again, this is my opinion. And, and this is something that people have heard me say before, but I'm going to say it again. And it's it's because that's what they are trained to do. That's what they are taught to do. So that I figured this out when I was still in high school um, and it just took me a while to figure out how to navigate it and get to where I'm at now. But, you know, you the best years of your life are from the day you're born to the day you graduate high school. You really have no cares in the world. You know, right. Mm -hmm. You're not really responsible for for nothing. Life's great. You go to college, four more years to party, um, still real no concerns, but you've probably started to accumulate debt at that point because you took loans out, like all these people that want that forgiven and, you know, because uh, they think money comes out of thin air. And you maybe become a professor and, and you can stay in college for the rest of your life and be a loser, but then you have to get out and get a job and you've got to get a place to live and you've got to get a vehicle to get to and from that job. So now you're incurring debt and you're going to take a job 
where you're going to work for a company that you have no familial tribe ties to, no tribal ties to. They don't care about you. You don't care about them. They're not going to pay you what your time is worth. You know, you're going to do that, you know, for 20, 30, 40 years. You're going to live for two days a week and two weeks a year because that's what we're told is success. As you go out and you get that good job and you work hard and pensions aren't a thing anymore, really, unless you're in a union. None of that matters, but they need the worker bees to keep plugging into these holes, whereas people like you and, and myself at this point, we found an alternative way of doing this, of, of yeah. doing life, you know, where we're not bound to somebody who's not, again, not going to pay us what our time is worth. It's a job. Job stands for just over broke, which is all you'll ever be if you're working a job. So like you're saying, go find a way. I resisted. I'm a successful author, and I hate to even say that, despite my be my best efforts, because I resisted it hard. If it was the people that were reading the story that pushed me, and bullied me into publishing the book, the first one, and I can't thank them enough for doing that, because I was still stuck in the old mindset of that hive mind, the worker bee thing. I got I had a great job. I enjoyed what I did, and I didn't take that thing serious. I didn't realize the potential it had. Or the impact it was going to have, because it, it, this the book series has had a huge impact. I hear it every day from people. Um, so, so you're absolutely right. You know, find alternative ways. Yep. It's and my find buddy Evan says the paycheck plantation, and that's a that's yeah. a good way to put it, right? It's the shiny yeah. chains, right? You're still a slave. It's just a Mercedes Benz that's attached to you, right? And uh, we we do. It's it's designed like we grow up kind of knowing what our parents made and we have in our mind to live that type of life. That's the amount of money we make. But by the time we're in the workforce and we're doing that job, it still makes that amount of money, but that amount of money doesn't allow you to live that quality of life anymore. And, and they've, no. they have conditioned no. you, you go through the government, you know, school system, the prison school system, and you, you kind of have these 20 jobs that you can take. But if you want to be a prestigious uh, if you want to have a prestigious job, maybe it's doctor, lawyer, right? Do I want a doctor uh, having been through medical school and all the training when his hands inside my chest cavity? Of course I do. But for the most part, um, it's just to keep you in that system. And nobody tells you when you're young, look, there's another way you could do this other path. And, yeah. and we just don't do that. We send our kids uh, to be if you look at teachers, teachers have your kids more than you have your kids for the most part. Right. And I think we can all agree. We all have that one or two teachers through our entire life that we still talk about that, that had an impact on us. But you also have those Goonie bird teachers. We, we send our kids to be raised by people who don't have their own kids. They have your kids. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of times we get into that system and it's so easy to just, you could simply opt out, right? If your kid goes to government school and you decide my kid's not going to school on Mondays anymore, you will eventually end up in a court before a judge. However, in most states, if you just said, you know what, we're not participating in your reindeer games anymore. I'm going to handle my child's education to be educated in the things that I know to be true and believe. And we're just simply not going to your system anymore. It's simply as easy as going, I'm not participating. Well, did, well, before I get into that, I'm going to say one thing, and then we're going to we're going to run a quick little promo because we, you know, we all have mountain readiness here, and, and T did such a fine job on this new one. I love watching it. But did you just hear that in Michigan, the the state educational board is pushing for the 
legislature to pass a bill that would allow them to, without a warrant, enter the homes yep. of families homeschooling. Think about that for a second. Russ, let's run our quick little uh, non-readiness promo. We're going to come back to, to John and some more questions. But I love this. time and you do you nailed that spot you came back exactly when it ended <laughs> but that's uh you, you know i think the debt generating unit is what we are we're not citizens of the united states we are debt mm -hmm. generating and servicing units worker ants for the state that's <laughs> that's it and so trying to find another way and 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 i like the holistic approach that you guys take you're you're in that tactical side of the business, obviously, but you guys are doing the holistic thing. You you understand it's not all, you know, guns and bullets, you know, and, and the cool guy stuff. You know, you're talking aquaponics and livestock and, and what you're doing, you're, you know, with water impoundment and all the things. And that's fantastic. And more people need to think that way because, again, people are, are they're herd animals and they're very easy to herd. Look around you at all these cul-de-sac communities. Those are a blight on the land, in my opinion. I hate those places. I would never live in one of those either, where, you know, you have one or two ways in and there's, you know, 500 homes in this thing. Um, that violates the law of carrying capacity. You know, that patch of dirt isn't designed to support that many humans. And it only works because of this fragile ass system that we've built for ourselves, which is fantastic until it stops working. And well, I mean, we have we have. You have Bedouins living in the middle of the desert that are able to survive, right? And if you look yeah. at it, like even Las Vegas, right? Las Vegas, as big as it is, if the power went out, how long could people survive in Las Vegas? Less than 1% of those people. It's not long ago that men lost their lives to take mail across the United States. Yeah. And and we have, we have popped up. And I mean, it's just, it's an artificial society, right? It lives. And I like to say it's not a problem until it's a problem and when it is it's a very large problem we like we're in tennessee because it is a rainforest like we always have water we've got mild winters it's a great place to be uh bear is in oklahoma he's in a similar situation he has it, we're, we're just very remote mostly we handle our own problems if there's a fire the fire department's not putting your fire out you better have some means to assist in that they might show up and watch it burn but we have to take care of our own stuff here, right? We're we're remote enough that law enforcement's not coming. Yeah, well, we are well, our own first responders. Yeah, yeah, we're about we're they're about two hours out from ours. 
Yeah, nobody's yeah, coming to save you. You better prepare to self-rescue. And you just, it's well, just the real thing that, what you do. The, the real thing, and here's the, the, it all boils down to this. When the bad thing happens to you, you'll be there because it's happening to you. <laughs> yeah, you the first that, responders right. are secondary responders because somebody has to pick up a phone and call them, and then somebody's got to get on a radio and tell those guys to get to you. So they're the second responder. You are your own first responder. And, and people are afraid of that responsibility. And, and some people absolutely don't want that responsibility. Um, they want to be able to call the guy. Um, and then again, that comes from that state level indoctrination of, you know, nothing's your fault. Call fear. somebody and they'll fix it. It's, it's fear. You know, it's fear. I think, you know, there's something to be said. I, I get on all the, you know, social media and you're looking at prepper this and prepper that page and, you know, there's somebody on there that's got a little box and, and maybe that's all they can do. They've got a little box of ho-hos and Twinkies and some egg noodles. And they're like, I'm starting my preps. And I'm like, look, guys, if this is all you can do, you're going to have a rough time here soon. It's going to be a hard road. Um, I've actually got a few people that I know um, and they always see, you know, we came here nine years ago here to uh uh, Western North Carolina, and we've got 40 acres out in the middle of nowhere with uh, 67,000 acres of game land next to us. And um, like like Joe Joe said, there's there's uh, John said there's nobody you know nobody's coming to help you. Um, but we were told we were nuts when we moved out here. We left the uh, the uh, big city and the jobs and the you know the union job and the good money and all that stuff on a chance. I come here. I came here for a job that that said I took a job as a as a, a diesel mechanic, but changing tires and working on trailers. You know, everybody said, "Man, you've lost your mind." Um, nine years later, fast forward, we're 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 thriving, we're we're doing great, and uh, a lot of the people that that we left in in Indiana, um, they're like, "Man, we want to do it. We want to do what you guys are doing, but we just can't. We can't pull the trigger. We're just." I can't make enough money, you know, uh, I, I got to at least have six figure job to relocate. And um, that fear and that mindset is what everybody falls back on. Because I'm going to tell you, if you really want something, you will find a way to do it. It's fear. You know, I, I, I grew up dirt poor. We didn't have nothing. Uh, educate. There's no college behind me. Uh, I've done fine. There's nothing against it. But the point is, is if you really want something, you put your mind to it, you will get it. And that's what holds people back in this day and age. It's fear. It's fear of the unknown. They, they're they too scared to pull that trigger. They would rather sit there in the big city and work on their preps in a in a go bag. You know, oh, oh yeah, let me get my go bag. I'm going to upgrade my go bag so that, you know, when, when the, the grid goes down, I'm going to hoof it out of downtown New York City. You know, hey, look, if that's all you can do, yeah, I mean, do what you can do, but that that's going to be a rough hike. It's going to be a rough yeah. hike. So, like John said, man, the goal is to take that ten dollars, turn it to a hundred dollars, turn it to ten thousand dollars, and get the hell out. All right, that's what you should be shooting for. Comfort breeds complacency, and uh, yep. as long as this thing runs, people people aren't a lot. Most of society is not going to change, right? This is the pacifier. Fitness that's is free. You can lock a man in a cage. You can put him on a ship. You can deploy him. He has the ability. You can put a guy in a cage and he'll still stay fit, right? Everybody wants to buy these things and most of them never come out of the box. And if they put them in a go bag, they've got a 60 pound ruck in their truck, but they can't walk a mile without that, right? 
So, and nobody wants to have that conversation, right? Even when you pull them aside, you're like, look, man, let's, let's work on you. Let's do these things. It, it took you a while to get here. It's going to take a while to get back, but it's still doable. And people have just, they've not been cold and they've never experienced tired, right? People, you hear, I'm starving. I don't think you know what that word means, right? You yeah. don't look yeah, like you're starving. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> you, you know, I tell one of the things I'm currently, like, again, this, this podcast is on earlier. They, they asked me this question. They're like, what was, what's the one piece of advice you would tell people right now, like they should be doing? And, and it's get comfortable with being uncomfortable again. Okay. Um, this, this artificial society Racist. that we live in, this, yeah, the, yeah, you were for sure, T, but, you, you know, humans are now, we can only exist essentially, Western humans, sorry, not everybody, but Americans in particular, can really only exist in this artificial environment that we've created. You take the average person and drop them into their natural environment, and they're going to perish in short order. They simply don't have the will or the skill to survive that. And many people will say, well, I would just sit down and die. I'm like, well, dying is not as easy as you think it is. Yeah. But it's also not as easy as you think it is. And it damn sure isn't comfortable. Um, so, you know, we're, that's what I said before. Like, we're de-evolving. You know, we, we can now only exist in an artificial environment of our own creation. Most people. We have a... Uh, 100%. We're in the most impoverished county in Tennessee. And there's a, a local Facebook group here. And they've, they've put this blessing box thing up where they're basically just feeding all these people, whatever, that that's great. And I see these people all the time, every day, who's assisting with food, who's helping pay electric bills and on and on. And I said, you know, I have a, a coop out here with 20 roosters and they're a year old. They're huge. They're these enormous birds. They'll make great chicken and dumplings. And oh, yeah. if anybody wants them, come pick them up, pick up one, pick up three, whatever you want. And not a see. I really thought like, I thought for real, like somebody living out here rurally, somebody's going to be like, oh, chicken and dumplings. Not a single person picked up those chickens. Yeah. There was a hundred questions about the chickens. Nobody came to get the chickens. It was just, it was bizarre. Because that oh, takes John, you, that you, takes uh, yeah, you, you weren't willing to process those chickens and then cook those chickens and then make the chicken and dumplings for the masses. That, that yeah, was the problem. Yeah. And then deliver and, it to the house. And deliver it to and the watching, house. And, and, and watching, <laughs> and watching the thread on this blessing box, they built this really nice red box. It's like four feet by three feet by three feet. It's got glass doors and people put food in there and stuff for, for these people, the, the homeless, right? I've never seen the homeless. I don't know where they reside, um, but people, people are like, Hey, I put three um, frozen turkeys in here. It's Friday night. And then on Saturday, they come back and they're like, nobody took the turkeys. They'll put whole, they'll put meat in there. Nobody, yeah. unless it's, unless it's processed cooked food, they'll just leave that stuff in there, man. Yes. Wow. That's crazy. We've got, uh, we've got some questions and we're running a little bit over it. I don't want to keep you real long, John, but I want to get to some of your, some of these questions here about SOE in particular. So, so Will here asks, are all your materials, including the thread made in America? No. No. Okay. Most as, many, as much it. as we, we can. just simply can't get it. No, you can't. Yeah. And 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 you have this misconception, right? That uh made in America. Um the raw goods, did the question, did the did the fibers come? Where did those reside, right? We use yeah. as much US material. My mills where my cordura is made is US made. My thread is US made. My cobra buckles, they come from Austria and they come in through Canada. Um, they just make a better buckle. There is a US source metal buckle. It looks like garbage. It, they literally paint it with barbecue paint. It's horrible. 
um, are plastic, U.S. manufactured. We ran very okay. compliant stuff forever. Um, I own two Porsches. I own every U.S. manufactured vehicle that there is currently right now. Um, I also own two Porsches and a Range Rover. And when I put that up, guys are like, I thought it was made in America. I'm like, well, let me tell you, my dealership's in America, in Tennessee here. The guy that changes the oil is here. The guy that puts the tires on the car is here. And I've never met a German at any of my um, Porsche dealers, right? And I bought a Tacoma a few years ago, and they came out of the woodwork. I thought it's made in America. And well, come to find out at the time, the Tacoma was the most made in America truck that there was. Yeah. And the Ford yeah. was, was only half made in America. So, I mean, we do that. And I, I, I love to support America. You know what I do employ? Americans, as many as I can. Right. And you know what I can't employ? Americans. When I ran, when I worked in San Diego, most of my labor was Mexican ladies from Tijuana. They lived in the United States here. And when I needed to scale, I needed six employees. The next day, six people sewed up who knew the trade. When I moved to Camden, Tennessee here, Oshkosh, HIS, Chick Jeans, Levi's, everybody was here. The infrastructure was in place. The factories were here, but they had gone offshore or gone to Mexico. We ran a, a radio spot on the radio and we ran newspaper ads. I had 127 people show up the first five days I was here. We hired five of them. Three still work here 18 years later on my payroll right wow. now. I pay more. Nice. I have five-year employees working for me for five years, making more than their family members who have worked at Carhartt for 20 years. I pay more. I cannot get labor. That is my bottleneck. I can literally wow. produce a million and a half a month. It's everyone's bottleneck. Yeah, I can I can sell a million and a half a month. I can only produce 300,000 a month. We we just I have 52 sewing machines. I have never seen 20 of them run in this county ever. They're just they're wow. just they just don't. We just we run ads all the time. We're running Facebook stuff. I, most of my I have one employee that lives in this city here in this town. I call it a city. It's a town. All the rest of my employees drive between an hour and an hour and a half to get here. And my video guy, one of them drives four and a half hours to come in here three days a week. Wow. Just, that's I, I would, I would love to tell you that everything is us made. Unfortunately, some of it is not, but I would say that 90%, if you buy a product from me, a sewn product right now, 99% of it's us made. If you buy a, a buckle, if you buy a belt with a Cobra buckle, that Cobra buckle's point of origin is not the United States, but it is the best buckle that's available. And that's why we use it. There you go. Yeah. My, my wife complains about not enough stuff being made in America. Like it's, it's a thing we try to buy made in America if we can, um, but it's hard. Like you said, you just, no one's, they've, they've run so much manufacturing out of this country. Well, um, I mean, we, it's the, it's the instant gratification from Amazon, right? If I can buy this thing, um, I darn tough socks. I wear those. I wear smart wools. Um, it, it's, we, I do it. I do as much as I can. And are you bet? I, like we, we go back and forth with this. I understand why guys use offshore stuff. Are you better off starting a company where you make millions of dollars and employing a bunch of people here? Or are you better off having a little tiny company because you only use U.S. raw goods? We don't have, other than the Cobra buckle, I can't really think of anything that's not U.S. manufactured. But I, 
I go back and forth with that all the time. If you, Katanica, I wear Katanica shorts, great product made in the United States. They now have a Philippine manufactured line also. And when you order off their website, you can choose if you want US or Philippines. The Philippines really? is a, a little bit cheaper, not a lot cheaper, but the cost of goods for US manufacturing, it's a lot higher. Wow. Oh, I just don't think it's really possible though. I'm a, I'm a boutique shop, right? And I, and I always yeah. question, if I started 35 years ago. I have a footprint since the very beginning of the internet. And I question if a new guy coming out could do that on par, right? If you're competing with the Amazon Tactical Gear or the other companies out there, there's some huge companies oh, out wish, there that are the not at all. The goal, yeah, the good, the Wish Gear and uh, and uh, all that other stuff. That so, uh, the interesting thing is, uh, I, I watched a video. Yeah, I watched a yeah, Timu. I watched a video on Ukraine the other day. Uh, Ukrainian soldier was saying that. All of the kit that they're taking off of dead Russians is all Chinese made now. It's like airsoft quality stuff. Their plate carriers, all their web gear. It's in multicam, but it's it's Chinese wish quality equipment that they're yeah. feeling right now. I see yeah. a lot of guys that tout U.S. manufacturing, and I always question, right? So I do a live. I walk around the factory. You see human beings manufacturing this product. I sit down every day and so still myself and I turn on a video because I'm proud of that. And I always question when you see companies saying, hey, U.S. manufacturing, you never see a video of the factory. And I really wonder why, because I'm very proud of that. When I say I ship 400 boxes out of here direct to consumer, we take pictures of that. The post office gave me a certificate. We were on the top three closure post offices in the entire United States. When we implemented the new website, we put enough business through my post office that we were removed from the closure list. Like we only wow. have a we only have a post office here because of special operations equipment. And like I wonder when dudes are like, we ship hundreds of boxes. Man, I don't know about I don't know what those guys are doing. But that's something to be super proud of when we process that many boxes and my wife ships that many boxes. We take a photo of those things when we have to take two. We ship so much stuff that the post office doesn't come here to pick it up. We have to take it and put it on the dock at the post office. Wow. That's a lot of material. And that's, and that's fantastic because that's like the, the, the American success story sort of a thing, you know, at heart. You know, it's because you are, you know, you, you started your own your own enterprise and you, you found a niche market that worked out just right for you. Um, we were, we were, we were building everything. Um, when I started off, like we stole webbing out of the sides of deuce and a half. So we were taking canvas off deuce and a half. We were taking tennis courts, basketball hoops. I mean, you name it like that stuff. We didn't have it. It didn't exist. The first stuff we ever made, like the first rigs that were out there with the seal teams, those buckles came off shopping carts from target. Why Target? Because we didn't have a Walmart. Like we were buying webbing by the foot and we bought so much webbing from REI and Sports Chalet and Adventure 16 that the dude goes, hey, this is where we get this. Why will you stop coming in here and buying all this every time we get it? So like we we finally did enough business that I was able to buy dye lots of inventory in one inch and two inch and inch and a half webbing. When it started a dye lot, we had to put in five, six, seven grand 
per size, per color. And I needed three sizes of webbings and six pieces of different sizes of Velcro. So, I mean, we were, we were like $70,000, $80,000 when we finally kicked that out. And nowadays, a guy starting out can go to a company that warehouses this stuff. But we yeah. do. We buy everything direct from manufacturer. Like we buy if when guys ask that question, they're usually not aware of the industry. You can go online and buy some pieces. We buy direct from the mill. That's awesome, man. Well, well, he also asked, what's your best selling item? Like, what do you guys sell the most of? What are you moving? The so most we're of? a we're a boutique shop, right? I can't compete with yeah. 511 and Blackhawk and those guys. I knew all those guys. John Carver, a, dear, a, a friend of mine, uh, Eagle Industries and those dudes. Uh, hit it, quit it onto the next thing. So if I think I can sell a hundred or something, we're building 80 of it. And then it's the next thing right now. We Wrangler star showed our FUPAs because of radio made easy and, uh, Overton and those guys we've, we're doing, we can't build enough of our fanny packs. It, our fanny pack runs as a chest rig runs as a fanny pack, crossbody bag, medical stuff. We, we can't, I literally just can't build enough of it ever. So every That's time awesome. we build something, I have a text message that goes out. We typically sell out of everything that night. Um, we do an email Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which is a little more cumbersome and uh, more more loaded up. And uh, we just we just blow stuff out, man. I just cannot manufacture enough. But I love where I'm at. When I moved here, I moved to Tennessee from San Diego with the intention of just growing a bunch of raised bed gardens and working with three employees and just doing custom work. I never intended to do this. I was never going to do that, but social media just, it just blew up, man. It just really yeah. did. That's awesome, man. All right. We got another question here. Uh, Aircon is asking, will the winner of Homestead Apprentice have to move to Tennessee? Well, you kind of answered we, this, but not quite. So, so, if you want the, we're giving an acre of property to the winner of Homestead Apprentice. So oh. you will have to live here on the property, not my property, but in a, a property close to here. And then we're going to do the second Homestead Apprentice and build out that property and put the second winner on an acre of property and then have common land in there. Um, so do you have to move here? You don't. If you want to just come participate, if you have no intention in coming and living here, that is completely fine. Also, we will put the property to the runner up. Um, but yeah, ideally, um, we're looking for homesteads. I mean, we're looking for apprentices also. So if, like I said earlier, if you don't want to move to Camden, Tennessee, I fully understand that. You like North Carolina, you like Ohio. We could even possibly put you and plug you in, you know, with Bears guys, if you're a fit, we will vet you out for that. And we'll kind of co-sign you, right? We, we've, done, we've done some life with you for a short period of time while being pressure tested somewhat. So you'll, I'm sure that we could plug you in other places. I like the fact that you used that term pressure testing because I do, do you know who Alan Kay is? Are you familiar with him? A little bit. I know okay. from the TV show. So he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's like my brother. You know, essentially that's my brother. And um, and we wrote a book together called Decline and Decay Strategies for Surviving the Coming Unpleasantness. And one of the we have an entire chapter in that book on pressure testing. On, on I did pressure not testing know that. ourselves. Yeah. Pressure testing ourselves, pressure testing our kit pressure testing those that we are going to surround ourselves with pressure testing our theories and plans and, and all of it and, and about how important that is. Um, so it's interesting to hear you use the same term because, because well, it's one I've been I, using I, for some time. You said a lot of things yesterday that I hear bear say, and I have a lot of influence from bear. I watched a lot of bears content 
uh, in the beginning of the lockdowns and stuff. I was paying attention mm-hmm. to that while I was working out every morning and stuff. Um, and then we had a tornado here. So they came out on a deployment in Kentucky and I said, man, bears 90 minutes from, I'm going to go meet this guy and see if he's really what he says he is. And he was, and I've been around him he's a good lot. People. So, so yeah, he's good I, people, man. That, yeah. I think that's probably where that term came. That was just a good way to put it. That pressure testing, those calluses, those scars, right? Um, Gary Smalley, 10 keys to a loving relationship. He says, you know, families that ha- build experiences, it's always the turmoil, right? You go camping and the tent burned, caught in the fire and burnt up, right? You never talk about that experience that was just perfect. You always talk about the experience that was the worst when it was knocked down, drag out. I hate you. We're never doing this again. But those are the experiences in life that we talk about today. You have to go through some bad stuff to know what you're actually going to do, especially if we're talking into the world kind of stuff or homesteading or, you know, the doomsday scenario, right? Everybody will will talk online, but I mean, heck, you can't even get 10 people to show up when things are good. What's going to happen when they're actually bad? Yeah, Sue, Sue wouldn't know anything about how adversity builds the strongest bonds. That's how you build the best team is, is through adversity. Hard times, you know, breed strong men, mm-hmm. right? And women. So, so that's, and I use the same analogy of the hunting trip that where you go out and, you know, everybody got a buck that year. It's great. Yeah. You'll talk about that for a few weeks, but you'll talk for years about the one where you went out and somebody's tent collapsed due to snow, or like you said, tent burned down, or you got snowed in, or it was just miserable event. That's the one you'll talk about for years because yep. that's the one that's teaching you lessons. Yeah. You're learning on those trips. You know. I see I see somebody saying, do we produce other product? We we don't do any OEM. I can't build enough of my own stuff. Uh, we we sew a label on all of our products. We go through 10,000 of those labels every six weeks. Every six weeks, wow. we are putting out 10,000 pieces of product. I see that you name Origin. I've never met Jocko. I built gear for several dudes that was in that deployment in Ramadi. Two guys that are friends of mine work for Echelon Front currently right now. Um, I see that you've named Mike Glover. I have never personally met Mike. I know some people that have done some business stuff with him. If you saw him post the picture, Evan Dixon from Radio Made Easy actually presented on some on his radio stuff at uh, one of the events out in Utah. Those posts you saw of that fanny pack he posted, I made that fanny pack that's in Mike's hands. And that was because right. of Evan presenting out there. And then as far as John Lovell, um, I do not build any of John's stuff. John was in my building for four hours um, right before James Yeager passed. James brought him by and said, I want you guys to have a closer relationship and I want you guys to talk to each other. And we did. We stood and talked for four. I love his content, but no, I don't build. I cannot make enough of my own stuff that we sell directly. Wow. Wow. Well, John, we've had you on for a little over an hour. Like I said, I don't want to keep you all night, man. Um, you got anything you want to leave folks with tonight? Anything you want to you want to pitch to them while we've got their attention here? I don't know about just just do something. Like the the every all four of us guys, we have one thing in common. No matter all of us, everybody hearing my voice, we have twenty four hours in a day. The difference mm-hmm. is what you choose to do with those twenty four hours in that day. Um, I do a live every single night, every day of the year at nine o'clock on my YouTube channel. Join in if you want to have conversations. It can be those conversations are led by the people commenting here. Several of my moderators are on this right now. Um, come out if you want to meet these guys, you want to meet us, come out to Self Reliance Festival. 
Um, if you're hearing this and you're like, I can't, you'd be amazed every time a guy's like, I can't afford this. And I said, I'll give you your tickets. None of them show up. Not a single one. Yeah. If you're in a position where you're willing to make a change and it's an issue of money, talk to me. I mean, we can, we can put you with somebody somewhere for sure. Um, other than that, Absolutely. come, come find us. I got 5,000 videos, Homestead Apprentice. If you're in a position where you, everybody says, I want to get out of the city. Do not wait 10 years, right? You are, if you're, especially if you're a young man, you're unencumbered before you have children and you're dragging a family and all this stuff. I moved here with trailers full of stuff. You know where all that stuff is? It's sitting in a building. I've never opened it because once I was here and started living a real life, none of that stuff was important. Um, homesteadapprentice.com if you're interested in that. SelfrelianceFestival.com if you want to attend the event out here. Other than that, I'll see you guys in, I don't know, 45 minutes on the live on uh, Special Operations Equipment YouTube. Yeah, that's why I want to try to get you off, man, because I know you got another show to do. Soon um, you've man, been I've... quiet a lot this evening, man. What do you got to say, bro? I, I will probably join in at 45 minutes. But I, I, I like what I've heard tonight, and uh, I, I looked up Camden, ten, Tennessee. I mean, you're right down the road from Carl, so uh, we got to get uh, Tactical Rifleman. Uh, hooked up with these guys and, and uh, get some videos and, and do some, uh, he's got three or four or 500 videos now, 380 or something like that. But uh, we got to, we got to include these guys at SOE and, and some of those. Cause uh, I think, uh, I think they got a lot to put out and uh, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people out there living in rural, rural America that needs to listen to this guy. So good job, John. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you. T what about you, brother? What do you got? Well, man, it, it was a good show. Pleasure, uh, pleasure meeting you, John, and uh, look forward to future times. Uh, we'll try to make it out to Self-Reliance Festival as well. I hear it's a great time. Um, that whole callus thing, man, uh, building that callus, building that mental callus, right? That's what it's about, too, because you can be the toughest guy in the world, but if from the shoulders, from the shoulders up, you don't have what it takes, that's that's what takes you that that last mile, you know, that that or that next mile, not the last mile. There's always another mile. So, um, you know, uh, pressure test from the from the shoulders up, build that mental callus and uh, great show, man. Great show. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, John, it's been awesome getting to talk with you last night, getting to talk with you tonight, too. Uh, hopefully we'll do this again. I'm definitely going to be at Self-Reliance. I'm going to come see you guys for sure in April. I'll be there uh, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, man, uh, good time. conspire. I got this from bear, right? Conspire really in the root form means to breathe together. That's what we need to do, right? Yeah. We need to be face to face, have a meal and actually look each other in the eyes. I'm all about meat space, my friend. I'm all about meat space. So that's, that's the real deal. Yeah. So you guys, the rest of you out there, you know, the drill, um, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. We will catch you guys next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And until then, be good, be good at it. Thanks again, John. Thanks for being here.